0: we actually had a normal, almost boring week of politics. It, it was pretty mundane, right? Just normal stuff, some, some carryover issues, but yeah, so no... By Trump
1: administration standards. There was no explosive right, right. news.
2: <laughs> this, is the, this is the getting used to being in prison example comes in. Right. This week in which healthcare failed and all this other stuff, rush allegations would have been in any other administration huge, and we're like, eh, nothing much happened.
0: <laughs> uh, welcome back, guys. That's good to be here It's it's just us this week Yeah Nick, Phil, and Bill
2: Although
1: next week We are going to be joined by uh, uh, Tom Cavanaugh Legal expert Who's going to come in And we're going to talk about Some of the interesting uh, uh, Supreme Court cases Gay wedding cake Uh, It should be a a fun Themed (laughs) episode (laughs) Yeah Gay wedding cake Let's do it Oh, so we should like last week.
0: We should start by uh, self promotion, Nick. Can sure. We do that. Yeah, because nobody <laughs> listens till the end. Um, uh, we you can find us on Facebook, um, uh, facebook.com slash barstoolpolitics, uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul, Pol P O L. You can find us on the Untapped app, where we have our list of beers that we try every week. Uh, that's on the iOS and Android and Google store and whatever all the other stores are that are out there Um, and then feel free to use our email um, barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com to uh, send us beer suggestions or topic suggestions uh, or authors that you know or anything that can can help us out Um, and then find the actual podcast on SoundCloud and then uh, review us and like us on iTunes um, because that helps us keep growing Absolutely. It was a lot of different things to plug.
1: That yeah. was. <laughs> um, we are, uh, on this end in Chicago, we are uh, drinking uh, Pennsylvania beers tonight. Yes. Uh, we'll talk more about those later, but uh, uh, my colleague and friend of the podcast, uh, Dr. Stephen Maynard Caliendo, brought some beers back from uh, Pennsylvania for us to uh, to try and enjoy and review. Whew. Yeah. All right. Do we start with healthcare? <laughs> Nick, you love Mine talking well. healthcare. health
0: <laughs> <laughs> care. I'm just going to zone out okay. for the next 20 to 30. Well, weeks. we don't
1: have to get into the nuts and bolts of health care, but it was significant that this week, actually Monday, right? Monday, uh, it was revealed that Mitch McConnell in the Senate, they didn't have, the Republicans didn't have 50 votes. Uh, and so the health care bill basically goes away. Uh and this is, a, a, I would say, a major defeat for the Republicans uh, and, and for Donald Trump in terms of getting some significant legislation through the Congress, though. Mm-hmm.
2: So. Yeah, it goes away, um, but maybe, probably not necessarily forever, right? right. So right. Um, this iteration of the bill is pretty much dead, although they quickly moved on to uh, saying that they were just going to vote on a repeal, right? So this has been a, this had been a repeal and replace. They were going to get rid of Obamacare, replace it with this new law. Right.
0: Um, it's better to do nothing right. than to have some sort of plan. Do what? It's, it's better to just have no plan at yes. all than to have one yes. that doesn't work. Well, that, that it's pretty crazy when you think about that, right? So it was the repeal and replace.
1: And then Trump said, uh, well, then let's just go for the repeal. But now even that's dead too, right? There's mm-hmm. not, the, the votes aren't there for right. the repeal. Right. Uh, and in some ways, I think there were more defections uh, with the repeal than the repeal and the replace. I mean, it's all been kind of a mess.
2: It's right. If you're, if, if you're afraid, well, I guess it depends. I, w- I was gonna say, if you're afraid to vote for repeal and replace, that's gonna kick 20 million people off of insurance. It's hard to imagine that you're gonna be for just repeal which the CBO came out with today, saying we'll kick 32 million people off of insurance. Although some of the Republicans, it, I mean, it is worth noting that some of the Republicans were opposed to this because it was too harsh. But there were some who were opposed because it was not harsh enough, right? right? right. So.
1: Well, that's um, Rand Paul's position from the get-go, right? He has right. said that this is just, uh, this is obamacare light, and, and in some ways, while I completely disagree with him in terms of the role of health care, I respect the fact that there's a philosophical position there. He says, right. you know, the government shouldn't be in health care. Mm-hmm. Don't give me a, a mediocre system that is going to do that, right? Uh, so there is there's a consistency to his position. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, and they were doing that. So Trump was having, was, had called... I didn't get all the details on this, but he had called a a, sort of a last-minute meeting with Senate members of the Senate who were skeptics, right? This afternoon or this evening? Yes. um, Trying to still put something together, trying to get something done. So now that it's basically dead, Trump has played. It made no effort to get this thing passed. Has done nothing (laughs) to like lobby or try to explain the bill. And now that it's basically dead, he's like, "We're going to get this done." So, um, but even even that that attempt to get it to sort of resuscitate it some, uh, three or four of the skeptics aren't even going to that meeting. So it seems like that's going nowhere.
0: And apparently,
1: I don't know if it was that meeting today or if there was a dinner last night. He was, apparently he was asking Senate Republicans, is there any way we can reduce, uh, you know, uh, drug expenses uh, and break down borders to have, you know, cross state movement of of insurance plans. And, you know, they were all like, Yeah, right. yes. Yes. Not, now is not, not the time to be throwing out
2: anyway right. Not anymore. Okay. He <laughs> wow. he had, he had I mean he had, I don't know this for a fact, but I very firmly I, I would I would bet lots of money that he he had no idea what was in that bill, right? No, like he, right. he no, he wasn't involved chance. at all. He, if people had asked him, no one did, remarkably. But if someone in the press had, oh, partly because no one in the press gets a chance to ask him questions. But I feel like if they had asked him directly about what was in the bill, he would have no clue. No,
1: oh, yeah, right. Uh, and before we went on air, Nick, you were commenting that he had said something about that now it's time to let they're just going to let it let yeah, it die, just
0: let it fail. It's not going to be on him, I think. He's not going to own it. He's not going to own it. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah, which is. Hilarious. <laughs> can we're, you, we're can just, you do that? Just say, like, I I, I'm not, yeah. no, not no, going to no. play. Not only, it's one thing, like, if you go, <laughs> all right, well, whatever. Let's just see what happens. But there's an assumption that he's actively not going to enforce parts of uh, uh, Obamacare, yeah. which is, I, and we were talking about it, again, before we, we started recording. Can can
2: you do that? Is that something that's possible? Is this, this you're your, question mark (laughs) you're echoing the complaint of lots of lots of republicans from when obama was president right right? there were a number of uh statutes and stipulations that he decided he wasn't going to enforce um and that got people really pissed off i'm trying to remember what what some of them were certainly that was that was obama right do what that was obama it's different (laughs) this is different now
1: (laughs) (laughs) it does it, it is an interesting if you're a republican do you want to see Obamacare collapse, right? Is, do you want just to see it die and do nothing, and you know, so they can stop giving the subsidies, they can stop promoting it, right? So when there's the enrollment periods, they could say we're not going to advertise, we're not going to promote it, uh, you know, we're going to cut funding from that. If you're a Republican, is that good, or would you rather say, okay, this is the law of the land, for, at least for the time being, let's try to go in and work with it? I, I, I would think that would be the Republican position, but I, I don't know.
2: No, think, you just no, I mean, I think I think classically that might be the case. But I think with today's Republican party, it's like this is the thing that's sort of that, that that's baffling to me a little bit is that the the policy, the platform of the Republican Party has been not Obama, essentially, yeah. right And which has led them to weird policy stances. There are things that don't seem to line up with what should be a classic conservative position, but, because Obama did it, they're opposed to it or whatever. And so sure. I, I don't know. I think normally I would say that yes, you, you figure out ways to work with what's there or to improve it. But I, I, don't, I, I think they, they think the base is so opposed to Obamacare that even if it hurts, it's better to get rid of it.
0: Well, I mean, just from an optics standpoint, why wouldn't you just go, okay, well this didn't work we're going to enforce the laws that are there. We know it's going to fail, and you're going to see that. But until that point, we're not going to, you know, rip a new entitlement away from people who are now on some type of health care. Once we get to that point, you better believe that we're going to have something else to replace it with. Many of
1: whom have voted for Trump vote for Republican, right? right. So that you'd be worried about that. No, I do. I think the base, you know, repealing Obamacare is big to the base. Sure. But then it, it lays this problem in the Republicans' lap. And what we've seen is Republicans aren't good at healthcare, right? They're not they're not the kind of party that likes to design and develop this. They don't have connections with the healthcare industry. I mean, this has been a very difficult process. So yeah. I would think well, if I, I would want to avoid all of that and say, hey, let's do some minor tinkering and then move on to tax reform. Get, right. Get your tax shit done. Yeah. We know you can do that. Right. They're good at cutting taxes. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we I mean it's it really should be like we should emphasize, or I feel like I, I will emphasize how how shocking it is that they couldn't get this done right I mean like yeah. they've had seven years right where this has been their their number one policy platform is getting rid of Obamacare and they finally went office and they have no plan right it should have been from the from the moment that they were sworn in this January there should have been a bill that and a vote and it, it should have been set to go and the fact that they, waited until January after January to even try to get something together and then were incapable. It's really shocking. Right. I mean, Mitch McConnell, they're they're smart politicians. Right. It's it's kind of bizarre that it happened. And on Trump's side. Right. Trump may not have known anything. He's he's no policy guru. right? Right. But the thing that he's good at or the thing that he's supposed to be good at is salesmanship. Right. And marketing and deal making. Right. That he he it really seems like a failure kind of all around by the leadership to to do what seemed like obvious things, Absolutely, one,
1: to develop a plan right. uh, and then to sell it. And, and I think you're right, Trump has, is very good at vilifying others, right? So he's great at attacking fake news, he was wonderful at going after Hillary and Obama, like he's good at that, he's he's somewhat succinct at doing that, but he's terrible at trying to sell this. Uh, even in like a Trumpian way, you would think that he could, he could do that, but either he didn't have the interest in doing that or, He's so focused on the negative that it's just not a natural thing for him. Hey man, he's got a lot of shit on his plate. <laughs> so now like, he has time for this. All that, all the golfing, <laughs> the golf, the Russians. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we'll, get to, we'll get to the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> so, how big of a loss is this if, for the Republicans? Is it is it a big deal, or if we move on to taxes, do we forget that this
0: didn't happen? I like, I think this is probably the the best outcome that they could have hoped for. Interesting. At this point. Yeah. I, like I. I think had this passed, they would have been decimated in the midterms. It would have been a, a, a complete 180. It, it, and I, but it's because of the nature of the bill that it was going to the, the bill and, yeah. Right, yeah. The, the minute you start saying that 23 to 32 million people are going to lose their health care yeah. coverage, sorry, like, like you've lost. Yep. like it's at least now. You know that there are are some people who are willing, uh, supposedly, to look at the substance of a bill and say, no, we're opposed to this and we're not going to harm the American people just because we want to push a piece of legislation through. So regardless of what comes after this, and I'm sure they're going to have plenty of other shitty things that come after this, it's, it's not nearly as bad as it could have been.
1: And they had to hold their nose on two things this week. One was healthcare, right, and say we can't repeal and replace. And then the other, which didn't get much news, was the Iran uh, deal. So this Iran nuclear deal has to be certified every 90 days or something where the president says that Iran is in compliance. And the White House certified for the second time, uh, reluctantly. Apparently everybody within the national security apparatus was saying we need to do this and Trump was reluctant to but agreed to so it, it, you know two of his signature deals tearing up uh, the Iran nuclear deal and tearing up Obamacare this week were prolonged so I, I, yeah I I think on some level you're right, Nick. Right? It's, it's a it allows at least members of Congress to move on and say, "Hey, we right. tried," mm-hmm. uh, but you don't have to worry about dealing with this and owning this healthcare deal mm-hmm. six months
0: from now. We have to we have to make sure there are no Russian spies around. Right. Sorry. right. that's right. That's next on the
2: docket. It's interesting because when you asked if this is like good, if this is bad or good for the Republicans, my initial reaction is this is terrible for the Republicans. And then, Nick, you said that you think this is the best possible outcome. And I realize <laughs> that I think both of those are true. Right. I think I think this yep. that I, the alternatives probably would have been worse. But this seems like strategically speaking, you've energized the left. Right. Or At least some of them. So there's there are people who I don't know, are, are Really fired up about healthcare that maybe wouldn't have cared that much about politics if this hadn't been a major issue. Um, and then the people on the right, the sort of diehards in some ways, are pissed that their party didn't do their one promise. Right. Yeah. So it seems like you've helped energize your opposition and you've kind of pissed off. Certainly, there will be a lot of the Republican base that will vote Republican regardless. Right. But. It's not about people switching parties to the Democrats. It's about people being disillusioned with their own representatives and maybe not showing up to vote and yeah. whatnot. So I, yeah. it seems like um, I mean, it seems like it may be the best outcome, but it still seems really bad for Republicans, which goes back to the why. I mean, it, it doesn't the Republican Party is in this weird position where their base disagrees with most of their platform, right? It's this weird thing, yeah. like the policies that the party is putting forward are not popular with their voters, which is, I, I don't know how you negotiate or move forward on that.
1: It's a really interesting time. I mean, this, this, the failure of the health care bill is a good time to assess where the Republicans are at. And yeah, it is, it's, it's a really awkward place. We saw that there's major division. Uh, there are moderates. And I think there are probably more moderates than some of those moderates want to let on because they're so afraid of the, the right. <clears throat> But then there's also a lot of far right uh, members of Congress right now, and it is it's really pulled in two very different directions. I think Trump has won over many of them, or at least he's won over enough public where they're they're afraid, right? Their constituencies are big Trump supporters. So I don't I don't know where the Republican Party goes over the next five years. Does it continue in the Trump direction, uh, or does it does it moderate? I mean, if you think back a long way, but after Obama won this, his second election, the Republicans had this big review, and they determined what they need to do is they need to become more compassionate. They need to, you know, tweak their positions on immigration uh, and gender politics. And there, there was this realization that you can't continue to run and appealing to white men, uh, and that seems to be uh, to be gone. Right? Trump has said, "No, we're going to double down on this." And so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious. I don't know if the Democrats are in any better of a position. But Republicans, it's it's awkward.
2: Yeah, I, I sort of see the Republican Party in kind of uh, I don't know the death throes of this like era, yeah. right? In which they're like desperately clinging to these things, and I I, I don't know. I, I I would like to think that. 20 years from now, you have a more moderate that those those uh, propositions that came out that you talked about the postmortem that yeah. they did, that those take hold. And, and a lot of the leading voices of the Republican Party, the Mitt Romneys and people like that advocated for yeah. that. Right. Um, and I, I don't know, it seems like there's the civil war within the Republican Party. But it, it seems like in my mind, generationally, either generationally, you're going to have a shift in the party, or it's just going to be untenable, like they're going to realize that they just can't you can't win majorities. I mean, they're, they're able to do it now, but in the I think moving forward, it's going to be harder and harder to do that with the type of platforms they're putting out there. Um, so I, I think they're going to have to moderate. I, it, it may not be a pretty process getting there.
0: I think they're going to have to. I don't know if it's going to happen, though. Like, that's... It's... The the loudest people in the room, whether you're talking about the right or the left, are always the the most radical of the bunch and that voice seems to be getting louder and louder and louder whether you're talking about within congress itself or through the media or the population It, it like there's no there's no moderating voice out there that's trying to tamp down or you know tip that bucket over so it doesn't overflow before something really bad happens and i don't know if you know, it it sounds crazy. I don't know if the parties in their current incarnation will last another 20 years like this. I don't know if they can, right? Because if you think about the division now, so the more traditional Republican, free trade,
1: uh, you know, big time anti-Russian, the sort of anti-communism, anti-Russian was was a cornerstone of that. Uh, You know, anti-immigration, but still kind of allowing it in terms of economic uh, means, and now the party's in a totally different place you know, protectionist, anti-free trade, pro-Russia. I mean, the large segments of the Republican Party are now, like, pro-Putin and pro-Russia, which blows my mind, and this hard-line anti-immigration. Yeah, I don't know if those two camps can continue to coexist. Yeah. And and elsewhere, we've seen in France and other places where those those two major center parties have gone
0: away, and you wonder. uh, Well, I mean, when was the last time you heard a, 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 a moderate voice on a major news outlet? Uh, or speaking to the House or to the Senate? Like, do you ever hear of anything like that?
2: Well, I so I mean that you hear those voices, but I, you're you're kind of right in some ways in that, that this is where you get to the back to our sort of obsession with the media as yeah. well, because the media focuses on the crazy people, right? right? Yeah, like, and, yeah. I,
0: yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Phil. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's no, no, and I'm not saying those voices aren't there, but yeah, go, go ahead
2: yeah so i mean you've got you know john Kasich has been very outspoken in all of this in his opposition to the health care bill and his opposition to trump and he's i mean by today's republican standards he's a moderate he's i think he would be fairly conservative by kind of older standards mm-hmm. um but yeah he doesn't make news right because he's not that exciting and 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 i think this I, is also where is boring <laughs> right, right but i think we used to, i don't i don't know i i it, it seems like people this is probably what people have always said it seems like when i was younger this was different right <laughs> uh, but it feels it's it does seem like uh there's less the, the rise of fox news and msnbc and all of this has created this or has further entrenched this us versus them good versus evil approach and so it the focus is less on policy and making policy and solving problems. And it's more on winning and defeating the other side. Right. And so that you were talking about the the will the Republican Party moderate that stands in the way of that. Right. Because moderating is giving in to evil. Right. It's it's letting the Democrats, you know, it's letting the team of Satan, you know, uh, have victory or, you know. And so, I'm glad we finally
0: uh, agreed to call them that. By the
1: way, <laughs> thank you. Well, and there are voices. There are those more moderate, more traditional George H.W. Bush Republicans out there. But you're right that they're not part. They're not in positions of power anymore. It's right. our. It's the Max Boots, the David Frums, the uh, Richard Painters, the Charlie Sykes. All of them that were part of the mainstream movement uh, are now separate, and they're they're waging this critique on the party. But I think they're losing, right? I, I, because of the media, or who knows what, what'll happen. But I don't, I don't know if they're losing at this
0: point anymore. Like, that's that's. Yeah. And if we keep I keep going back to the media thing. You can say that they're losing, and yeah, if you look at you know the traditionally liberal media outlets yeah. compared to um, Fox News or other conservative media outlets, they're either fucking crazy, or you know they're the only sane ones in a party full of nutcases. <laughs> So, I, I I don't know. I, it's an, it's a bad it's a bad situation.
2: So you were talking about. So I, I'm I'm gonna take it a different, slightly different direction than you were saying, Bill. You have seen in France and other places these kind of new parties emerge. Yeah, it's way more difficult in the U.S. for yes. that to ever happen. Correct. And what tends to happen instead, and what you might see happen, is those. Um, you know, the, the David Frums, the Max Boots, these sort of disillusioned Republicans who are sort of more moderate, want a sane foreign policy. Um, if the Democrats are smart, they reach out to them. Right. You try to appeal to those people. And so what you have is the parties, the Republican, and the Democratic Party have been in place, you know, for mm-hmm. well over, a, you know, for hundreds of years. Right. Um, but what what they are or who their voters are, the makeup of their base has changed dramatically over those years, right? So what you have is the shifting of these of these, uh, of these these voting blocks. And if the Democrats can reach out to some of these more moderate kind of, uh, you know, they want like a rational, sane, cooperative mm-hmm. party, then they have the chance to, you know, pick up some of those voters like the, you know, like Southern Democrats switch parties in the middle of the 20th century. If the Democrats can pick up one of these sort of disillusioned Republican blocks, then you have a chance, you know, it, it, that shifts the balance. The Democrats win for long enough. The Republicans are out of power long enough that they feel like they have to shift to pick up. And that's how you have this sort of gradual in, in ideally shift back to sanity, right? But I don't know. I don't know how much faith I have in that. Partly because I don't know how much faith I have in the Democratic Party to Ex- make smart decisions about reaching out to disillusioned Republicans. That's exactly.
1: Exactly. Hundred percent. Because I think there's a similar dynamic occurring on the left, where you've got you've got divide between the more moderate Republican, I'm sorry, moderate Democrats, and then the more left wing, left wing of the Democrat Party is now attacking <laughs> capitalism, attacking free trade in the same way that the far right is. So I, yeah, absolutely, I could see an alliance between a Hillary Clinton-type Democratic Party and some of these disillusioned Republicans, but not between Bernie Sanders. So right. I think this might be another thing that Democrats can just screw up. So. It, would
2: have, it would have been really interesting. So Evan McMullin, um, yeah. who ran an independent campaign for president because he had such an issue with Trump, who also has been very outspoken in his critique of Trump. He's been great to follow on Twitter. I think he's very smart, I don't agree with all of his he's more conservative than i am but i he's like i have a great deal of respect for him if he, he wasn't on all the ballots he didn't have this nationwide funded campaign but it would have been really interesting in a hillary versus trump campaign if you had had a really well-funded well-publicized centrist more or more centrist candidate or a more moderate republican if how you know if they could have won or if they could have Done an Emmanuel Macron sort of thing, right? Where you yeah. break off enough followers to um, to kind of start this new movement. I'm skeptical because of the institutions of the United States. But yeah. but I, and I, maybe it's just me naively wishing that there were this really sane, rational, moderate right. <laughs> chunk in the middle of America who could well, take back politics.
1: I, if, you know, we we said we were going to talk a little bit about some polling data as well, and I you know that also complicates it because if we're looking at the polls. This hasn't been a good week for Donald Trump, but it also has been a complicated week in terms of his supporters are still very, very much in line with him, but his, his approval rating at the six month point is is the lowest in recorded history, right? I mean, What's your source? Well, that's right. ABC, uh, Washington Post Gallup, right? right well, I mean, We so, know that's not right. That's, so he's currently at 36% approval rating um, and 58% disapproval.
2: Which, to be clear, that's not the lowest approval rating in history. It's the lowest approval rating at the six-month mark. That's exact,
1: exactly right. Yes, because uh, yeah, the, the second lowest at the six-month point was Ford at thirty-nine uh, percent. Clinton was who had had a Clinton had a rough first six months. He was yeah. only at forty-five, uh, you know, and then it keeps going up. Truman was at eighty-two, but I mean, it's so that's that's significant to say that he's getting hit by independents and Democrats. Uh, I still think that core group of Trump supporters isn't moving, uh, but it, this is not real good news for him as well.
0: I don't think it's any kind of news. You don't think so? I don't. Th- I, I. I. I mean, I, I'm sure there's some. And we talk about this literally every fucking episode. Yeah, at we this got point. to. Like yeah. it's. I. I. I do think that there is a minimal shift from party to party. Probably more so going from the Republicans over to uh the democrats if, at least in in the current moment but i don't think it's enough to to be meaningful he's if he's losing independence that matters uh and the republican
1: thing yeah it, i saw something interesting so he's still polling well among republicans you know 80 to 85 percent but then somebody was talking this week about the fact that that data may be misleading because there may be people leaving the republican party right uh, right. And if and who knows how big that movement is, but if you're still polling, eighty percent, eighty-five percent among Republicans, those who are no longer identifying as Republicans, that could be statistically right. significant. Um, and that is sure. that
2: is happening, right? Max Boot and Joe yeah. Scarborough and these people, but it, it, yeah. The question is whether it's a handful or whether it's a large right. uh, number. And but, I, I think you saw some of that under. I, you know, I think under George Bush, you saw a shift of people who I, I was a Republican until George Bush became president, right? And I was one of those people that shifted parties during that, during that time period. And well, so I,
0: mean, we I clearly I, saw I, it in I, the election, too. Yeah,
2: do what? I said, we
0: clearly saw it in the past election, too. Right. This would not right. we would not be talking about this. Right.
1: Right. But to Nick's earlier point uh, about the fact that, you know, the, the hardcore base is still there. I mean, you're not seeing any movement among Trump supporters, or at least that that segment is still dire. Philip we were talking beforehand. What was the, the data points you had on Trump voters?
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, just to supplement your your uh, approval rating number, there are a couple of that uh, poll numbers that I thought were interesting that go with it, one of which which is uh, works against Trump was that. 36 percent approval in another poll it showed uh that 44 percent of americans now favor impeachment or removal from office so it, it can't be good if you have more people who want you impeached than approve of your jo- the <laughs> that's job the stu- job you're doing that's right stunning. So that, it's a stunning yes yeah. <laughs> it is really sharp it's shocking now on the other hand amongst trump voters so people who voted for trump this was a i don't remember which polling company did it um amongst People who voted for Trump only—I'm trying to remember how it uh, was—only 45% believe that Donald Jr. met with Russians um, at the, the, you know, the now infamous meeting. And we should point out that that 55% of Trump voters, more than half of Trump voters, don't think that he or, or think that he never met. They think that he did not meet with Russian lawyers, with Russian representatives. Something that Donald Trump has been interviewed about yes. on national TV yes. and has tweeted out the emails and talked about openly, and, and now you it's still more than 50% moderate
0: in the next few years. <laughs> well,
1: that that no, point. that that one is when I saw that I could, It was hard to wrap my head around that. So something that Donald Trump Jr. has admitted to doing, right? He says he had this meeting. And he right. says there was nothing wrong with it. It was it was a nothing burger, but then you still have supporters who say no, no, never never happened. Uh, that speaks to the way in which people are are interpreting facts, right? It's, uh, we're so partisan.
2: This goes back to, um, I mean, all of this, whether people would ever, whether the party would moderate, whether, you know, all of these themes, the media and all of this. I mean, Fox News plays a big, and it's not just Fox, right? It's easy to pick on Fox, but it's Rush Limbaugh and Breitbart and all these other um, groups. Um, But I, I think if you look at Fox News, there's been a shit, we talked a few weeks ago after Roger Ailes died, um, and I, Roger Ailes, I think, was a pretty terrible person. Um, but one of the, he, he wanted to cover the news yes. on Fox News. Mm. He did it with a bias, right? So he did it with a Republican twist, but he covered the news. What, I, what you've seen since he left is that it doesn't even, they don't even cover the news anymore. It's just propaganda, right? They don't, they don't even – so if you look back at the coverage of the Russia scandal over the last couple of weeks, they largely didn't even talk about it. Yeah. Um, so, or they talked about how he was framed, right? That there, one of the talking points was that Hillary actually arranged for this right. to get blackmail on Trump because Russia wanted to Worst plan ever. But if that's what you're hearing, right? Yeah. If that's if all you do is watch Fox News and that's all you're hearing, then, but this, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's going to be hard to ever moderate. Yeah,
0: but uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And then you look at at like news feeds through like Apple or something like that. And it's celebrity news or something completely um, the opposite of every other news channel, but it's also within like the top three stories of the day, no matter what it's about, yeah. which means that people are still gravitating towards oh, yeah. it, it's regardless effective. of what they're putting out. Well, and I, this is an
1: important shift, too. I think, Phil, what you're pointing out is you know when you think about it during the republican primary fox news was not a big proponent of donald trump or his approach towards governance Mm -hmm. i mean it was there was breitbart and breitbart was was certainly on board with trump and that that agenda but not fox news and in fact early on fox news was mocking donald trump Mm -hmm. uh so the fact that they've come along and embraced this more Breitbart position is is significant uh, and, and, and changes, you know, what they do and how they approach it. But I, I agree, it feels much less like news and it's they're in danger of becoming a, a state propaganda machine, right? And that's... Uh, the,
0: the same I, can be said for the other end of the spectrum. Absolutely, too. but they're not in power, Nick, right? The no, they're not never in power. have any power. No, but Fox <laughs> News wasn't in power for eight years. No, so, that's right. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, I but, think the door swings both ways. They just happen to be... The ones that are in the crosshairs currently, but MSNBC it's, is not dangerous. <laughs> no, nobody watches them anyways. <laughs>
2: right. So I mean, a I think that's an important. Going
0: across the screen.
2: I think that's an important difference. If you look at the numbers, there there is a large chunk of America that gets their news solely from Fox News, yeah. and that's not the case with MSNBC. Most of right? my There's family, not... as a matter of <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really um, effective yeah. Yeah, and um and and. This administration is different in that they only deal with Fox News, right? So yeah. so Obama, you know, he had his run-ins with Fox News and they had scuffles and whatnot, but he still talked to them. And he talked, it wasn't that he only talked to MSNBC or whatever, right? And even George W. Bush, right? He, he dealt with multiple media outlets and talked right. to a variety of different people. And so you have this weird symbiotic relationship that's developed between Trump and Fox News that is not, it's not healthy.
0: Well, did you did you see that story about? Um, and what, what's his first name? Waters. Is yes, it? Jesse. Just, Jesse Waters. Oh, he's the Fox guy. Yeah, he's the Fox yeah. guy. Uh, he was interviewing someone who was supposedly um, part of like Boston Antifa or something like that. Okay. And a somebody sent a tweet out a tweet out or something saying that Trump was watching this on Air Force One at the time. And nobody had vetted who this person was. And it was apparently just some sort of troll that wasn't part of Antifa at all. And was, I don't know if he was an anarchist or a Trump supporter or something other than what he claimed to be. But Jesse Waters retweeted it. Trump was watching it on Air Force One. And, like, you just go, like, it's just all bad. Why aren't you vetting anything? Right. <laughs>
1: Well, and you think about what's going on, so Tucker Carlson has taken over, uh, and he's moved in a more, ne- not neoconservative, in a more exact, exact opposite, uh, and and Fox and Friends in the Morning has become, somebody this morning, there was an article this morning basically talking about it's a mirror for Donald Trump, right? They look at each other, and they're kind of the same thing, and they're, they know he's watching, and they're kind of baiting him, <clears throat> and they're going back and forth. And that's significant, right? Yes. I understand if I can speak
0: directly to the
1: dear leader, right? Yeah, that's that's crazy power. Um, that's Phil Barker power.
2: Yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: mm. um, should we uh, transition to? Can we talk Putin? Or, or do we, is there more? Like, do we, Phil, so, do you have more on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just uh, yeah. I, 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 this I think interests me. I, I may it, I I ran it by you, but you you may find this boring. So to pull out <laughs> to pull out political science, right? Yeah. A couple of months ago, we talked about this, and I'm not an American politics person, so I may get the details of this wrong. But there's a there's a political scientist named Steven Skoranik that talks about kind of what we were talking about earlier, about these really sort of shifting alliances of voters, right? These coalitions of voters that emerge and that bring parties to power. And he talked just to kind of give the very, very simple uh, example. In the second half of the 20th century, the Democrats had this great coalition where they they put together really starting with you know JFK and through LBJ, um, Democrats, more or less, they, they put together this sizable coalition of voters, different types of voters that would all kind of get on board with a, with a platform, um, and they basically controlled government from the 50s through uh, the 70s. What happens with these coalitions is after they've been in power a long time is that they start to fall apart, right? They start yeah. kind of pulling in different directions. And you saw that in, in interesting ways, right? So even Nixon, a Republican, during the midst of this Democratic coalition, um, Nixon was, in, by today's standards, pretty damn liberal, yeah. right? Like he formed the EPA and was involved in civil rights legislation and all this other stuff. Anyway, that ultimately, that coalition falls apart under Jimmy Carter. So Jimmy Carter's the last president of that big Democratic coalition. Yeah, it's always. Him. Demo- <laughs> Democratic they, president. They made him Demo- sell his
1: peanut
0: farm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: democratic president democratic control of congress and they couldn't pass anything they mm-hmm. couldn't get anything done because all of these different you know groups were pulling in different directions so you then have the reagan coalition the republicans put together this new coalition it's really you can see it you have kind of the classic um kind of northeast republican right like small government low taxes like pro, yeah. pro business. <laughs> yes. Do what?
0: like us <laughs> right.
2: you have you have the sort of mitt romney branch of the of the Republican Party, but they what they do is they reach out and they pull in, um, well, formerly Southern Democrats, but really what they pull in, the, they reach out in the 80s to the evangelicals, so they had not played a big part of the Republican Party before, so you have evangelical voters, you have classic Republican voters, you kind of have the white working class, and they all pull together and you get Reagan and Bush yeah. and Clinton, who is a Democrat but is pretty damn moderate for a Democrat in a lot of ways. Um, Bush again, right? And and you could argue that what's happening now is Trump's another Jimmy Carter, right? And Which I, is, I would
1: say even Obama would fall within that. I mean, Obama was very much like H.W. Bush in that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and so um, if Trump is the new Jimmy Carter, right, he's the end of this coalition, what you have is, and you can see this, why does healthcare not pass? Because you have some Republicans in the party who only care who are the sort of evangelical and their main concerns are abortion policy and prayer in schools. You have another branch of the Republican Party that only cares about tax cuts, right? They want small government, no business. You have another branch of the Republican Party that's this white working class who doesn't want to see Medicaid cuts, Mm -hmm. right? And the fact of the matter is the Republicans control government, but they can't agree on a damn thing, right? To get anything done. Now. All of my blabbing on about this (laughs) so we've talked about the state of the Republican Party but I I guess my thought is what if that is the case if the Republican coalition is breaking apart what comes next what do you see happening next so who if the Democrats in my mind the Democrats have a chance here right yeah in that you have um, if they if you take classic Democratic voters and you add to them like a newly energized youth vote, right? People who haven't played that big of a part. If you can get them out to vote, which is maybe doubtful, but more likely than it was before, if Democrats could reach out to some of these Trump voters, this white working class, and focus on jobs and like basic economic issues and less on the identity politics, it seems like they could put together a coalition, right? I, yeah. Um, what? Who? I mean, who else? How does the How does the Democratic Party, if this is happening, if this voting block is well, first of all, is it breaking apart? And if so, what what comes out of that? What do you predict? What do you see happening next?
0: It's it's a great
1: question. I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly think, in theory, the next twenty five years should break the way of Democrats. Right? When you think about uh, growing immigration in the country, uh, youth vote, uh, views on same sex or you know uh, gay marriage, all of that that all plays better for the Democrats. So it seems like they should be set up, but you still need a politician who can capture that, right? You need the Bill Clinton or whatever who can who can do all of that. And I don't know if the Democrats have that yet, right? Whether, you know, you need a Joe Biden guy who can be a liberal Democrat but still also appeal. Uh, and so, I guess, yes, all of that if they can find the candidates that can do that. I, I, yeah. Well, um, and,
2: and and the other question is, is, what comes out of Trump is this potentially really energized liberal wing of the party yeah who ends up nominating a far left candidate who is going to do exactly not what i just mentioned right right? it'll be a
1: missed opportunity and i think that's the more likely scenario right although the other thing i need to say is that you said trump is the new jimmy carter let me just say that this week jimmy carter who's what 92 Mm -hmm. he's still building houses Uh, and the guy, what, he had dehydration after, after working on a
2: porch for, what, a couple hours? You would have had dehydration working on a porch after five minutes. Oh, though. absolutely, right? I mean, so, so
1: if Jimmy Carter is listening to the podcast, Jimmy Carter, we didn't mean you're the new Trump is the new Jimmy Carter
0: that way. Hey, nobody said he's not a nice guy. He just wasn't good at governing. Nick, they made
1: him sell his peanut farm. I,
0: hey, Sorry. <laughs> sorry build no. a highway or something get the fuck out of the way <laughs> no i i agree with you i
1: think that you know that it's a really good analysis and i think it works it would work really well for democrats i'm just afraid they're they're not gonna see it they're gonna screw it up yes
0: yeah yes yeah.
2: yes I, yeah I don't, I don't know what the what the you know the the next step or the prediction is but i, I i've just i came back to that this week because I, I like it because it 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 puts the chaos of right now into some sort of context. It makes it feel a little less chaotic, right? Like it's this kind of pattern of swinging alliances and that makes me, I don't know, sleep a little better at night.
1: Some of it depends (laughs) on this identity politics. And if Trump is able to win over the white working class in a way that it doesn't matter what he does, they just love him, right? For who he is and who he's fighting for, then that becomes more difficult. Right. But if four years go by and the white working class sees him as a fraud, as somebody who was a rich guy just using them to get into power, yeah. then
0: I think then that's a totally different scenario. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. What we, the data that we have right now, and what we are seeing over the past six months, or what we have seen over the past six months, not to you know give you night terrors or anything, Phil, <laughs> but. Like, and I I know I keep harping on this and it's not within any of the traditional models or whatever you know you can have these voting blocks that are breaking apart but at the same time you have voices that are out there that just reinforce your own opinions and that demonize the other side to the point where the, the shifts between the parties unless there is a significant mm-hmm. um Uh, Understanding that what your particular candidate uh, claimed they, they were going to do, they didn't do, and were visibly worse because of it, unless that happens there is going to be a minimal shift between those two sides it's harder to
1: move yep. now than it was in the past yeah. because of the media sources right. And right no matter what happens to trump fox news is going to
0: continue to sell that right, right? so uh, no, yeah. that's a good point so then i mean at that yep. point you don't there's there's no point in trying to to uh, gain support from the other side, because everyone, it's it's too hard. Go for the yeah. easy wins, where mm-hmm. obviously the easy wins are on the yeah. the, the far ends of, of both parties. So, I I don't know, dude. I, I I mean, I I hope that what you said actually occurs, but I I just don't see it happening.
2: No, I mean it's an interesting point because at, at some point with the demonization we talked about, um, working with the, the the enemy, right? The, the, yeah. So in this case, in this uh, example, working with Democrats who are the enemy is worse than continuing to work with the lying bastards who don't do what they tell you they're going to do, right? It's better to, to partner with Republicans who don't follow through than it is to you to sell your soul to the devil, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, better your yeah.
0: side passes something that's bad than the other side passes something or not pass something at all when you have the power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do we do we uh, what are we at? Do we talk we beers? Should probably do beers. Okay, that was actually a longer conversation. Well, you, a you,
1: healthcare, <laughs> Nick, it'll just keep going and going and going. Uh, all right, so Nick and I, we were enjoying these beers uh, provided by Dr. Stephen Maynard Caliendo from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh we did we did you start with the hop or the big hop
0: or did you start no, we started with the with Windridge. Let's let's talk that one first. Honestly
1: so it um This is a Windridge uh the Hunter series
0: from uh Windridge Farm Brewing out of uh Dallastown Dallastown Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Um uh double IPA it it punches you in the face at first with with the hops. Honestly it's it's pretty drinkable after that, yeah. And um, I mean, a fairly standard, like not too sweet, you know, and and still pretty heavy. But then I had the the second one, I think the I like big... the first one better. So the second one was uh, the big hop,
1: uh, from uh, uh East End Brewing Company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I will. yeah, the this uh, the Windridge. Was I,
0: I really liked it? Yeah, it was pretty good. And I, I'm not a big double IPA guy, but maybe it killed our taste buds. And no, we just but can't it, tell.
1: but no, it had like citra, and it was it was a much more tropical double IPA. Watch it! Yeah, it's it says tropical <laughs> on there because I wasn't sure. Um, and I I really thought that was it was a oh because it has beer. calypso hops. Well, you can't go wrong with the calypso. Um, <laughs> And no, that was a that was I would say that was one of my favorite beers I've had, and really? and, and and there aren't many double IPs that I say that about, so I, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Uh, the big hop was big hops, right? Uh, Kinda. You th- you you
0: thought I, I like I'm I'm drinking it right now. Yeah. It's, um, it's just kind of I don't know. It's kind of light. Like, for as dark as it is, it's it a should dark be, color, yeah. it should have more flavor to it. Um, I don't know. Like Again, I don't know if that's because I had the last one and it was so Citussi? flavorful. Yeah, so yeah. Calypso. Hop tops. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, this is definitely more more, uh, uh, more traditional hoppy. It's not bad. There's a frog on the can.
0: There is a frog. And yeah. you like a frog.
1: So, uh, the Big Hop from East End Brewing Company. Thank you. Uh, very good. Um, all right, Phil, what are you having?
2: Uh, my first beer was from Allagash Brewing Company, which is in Portland, Maine, mm. um, and it was called yeah. Little Brett. And it is, uh, I was, I was, I was told it's a Belgian uh, style beer when I when it was uh, sold to me, made with mosaic <laughs> hops. It says, it says, uh, bright hop notes with aromas of pineapple and mild tartness. And Ooh. I have to say. It was, yeah, I, I think you'd like this one, Bill. It yeah. was. It says aromas of pineapple, but it tasted more grapefruity to me. It was oh. kind of tart. Oh, um, it, it was my first sip. I was like, I don't know about this. And then as I drank more of it, 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 it was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of fruity, but not not sweet. It was, you know, nice yeah. and tarty. Uh, tarty. Tarty uh, is not the right word. Tarty insinuates something else, I think, <laughs> right? So... Um, yeah. <laughs> The second one I had was an American Pale Ale from Stoneface Brewing Company, which is out of Newington, New Hampshire. Uh, and I'm sort of up in the air on this, and I have a weird complaint about it. Um, the it tastes fine. It is like super fizzy, like super carbonated, and it's like it really distracts me from the beer because like a mouthful sort of bubbles every time I drink. That's so, like champagne. I think I'll let it go flat a little bit, and then I'll drink some more of it. So. <laughs> that, that was
1: the oddest review we've had on Barstool Politics. <laughs> <Too many bubbles. laughs>
2: I keep thinking, oh, when I opened it, it just got sort of, you know, it just foamed up at first. But i have like halfway through the beer, and every time I drink it, I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of bubbles. Did <laughs> didn't you shake it before opening? <laughs> not intentionally, not intentionally.
1: Oh, uh, all right. Well, let's maybe our final discussion can be about uh, what I'm calling Trump's Putin obsession. Uh, so last week, we talked a lot about uh, Donald Trump Jr. and his meeting with the Russians, and then Putin, is his own meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin. But then on Tuesday it was revealed that Donald Trump held a second meeting with Vladimir Putin at a dinner for world leaders at the G20. Uh, and this one was one that had not been disclosed. Uh, and, and to put some context in, this was a, a big dinner for all the heads of state. It was a three-hour dinner. Uh, and over the course of the evening, different heads of state talked. But at this meeting, Donald Trump got up from his seat and went over to Vladimir Putin and began a conversation. Now, his translator did not speak Russian, which, that's a whole other question. How do you have a translator?
0: Why would you bring that person? Why
1: would I would think that would be Trump's first
0: question. Right.
1: Do you speak Russian? No, you should only
0: speak <laughs> Russian. I don't care if you speak anything else. Right. So not even English. So I don't care. T-
1: Trump goes over and sidles up to Vladimir Putin, and according to heads of state who were at this meeting, uh, they had a conversation upwards of an hour. So it was a long conversation. Now Donald Should- Trump came out and said that this was sick and fake news, and Sean Spicer said it was just a social conversation, not nearly that long. Uh, but Ian Bremmer, who's from the Eurasian Group, uh, was contacted by, apparently by multiple heads of state. Uh, apparently European allies, who who were shocked by this, thought it was bizarre that of all the individuals and the alliances that the United States has, that at this meeting, Donald Trump would make the choice, strategic choice, to say, I'm going to spend an hour with Vladimir Putin. Uh, so, I, I don't and, know.
2: He's obsessed. It's worth also noting that it was just he and Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin's translator. Yes. No other American was involved, which is um, very... I don't... I was gonna say against protocol. I believe it is against protocol. Um, it's certainly not normal, yeah. uh, because you want someone else who's there to hear and to confirm what's being said and to right. make sure right. you know what's being discussed. And uh, yeah, it's, it's weird, <laughs> it's it, weird.
1: It is, and it's not uncommon for at these meetings of the G20 for two heads of state
0: to just say, hey, let's go have right. a conversation. That's no big deal. Well, especially in the context of what's going on. I yes. can easily see them having conversations, but Maybe a little bit more public. You know, right. More by, by standard Especially standards.
1: Especially at this session where there are, you know, Britain's there, Germany's there, like our more conventional allies are there. Right. And, and so you wonder, is Trump just feel more socially comfortable with somebody like Putin? Uh, and doesn't want to deal with Angela Merkel, doesn't want to deal with, you know, with other European heads of state. And he says, this well, is his like
2: wasn't
0: there, so he really had to find right.
2: someone. Well, I mean, we've talked about this in previous weeks, that Trump clearly has an affinity for people who say nice things about him, right? Yeah. Like, there's a reason why the Saudi Arabia visit went really well and the NATO visit went disastrously, right? And he, he is going to, in that room, go seek out the person who's been, who's praised him, right? Yeah. He's not going to go hang out. and. And there's something human about that right <laughs> like, if he weren't the if he weren't the leader of the country i you know it would be harder to blame him for it but um yeah it, it's it, the other I, the, the other part is i mean even if you give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he's not up to anything nefarious he's just doing his job and there's a lot going on with russia relations right now and maybe they needed to talk it's just it, even if you give him all of that, it's just really naive, right? Yeah. Like if you assume he's wanting to do well, don't, wanting to do, you know, wanting to actually negotiate to to uh, seek out policies that are beneficial to the U.S. Knowing what you know about Vladimir Putin, you take other people with you, right? Yes, <laughs> like yes. he's not a person who can be trusted, who could be held to anything that was discussed. You know he, the things that Trump says will be used against him. It's just it, it's it's naive at best.
1: Absolutely, And the other thing that strikes me is that it it's just, given all the press, so it, there was no press at this meeting, so maybe he thought it was safe because of that, but he should have known it was going to leak. Right. And all of, he's been hammered the whole week for the allegations, the collusion with Russia, this is happening, 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 he had that meeting, uh, and then he has a second meeting, right? Just in terms of the optics, you would think you'd be more aware that this might not look good in front of, the Brits that I'm again sidling up to Vladimir Putin. This is the thing,
0: like, it's six months at this point. It, it would be one thing, whatever, he's an unconventional president, for him, if he had, at least for me, if he had just gone, yeah, we're not going to necessarily hold ourselves to all of these rules, I'm gonna do my job, Yeah. whether it looks weird or not, I'm doing it for the best interests of the country, whatever yeah but like this thing where you just this clandestine shittily clandestine thing that you do that you think that no one else is watching you right i i i don't know if it's arrogance or stupidity or both stupid
2: watergate right
0: uh there was
2: a you're right the lying about it that is so easily uh disproven is what's Kind of baffling if they were just you know confident if they just from the beginning right. said like what you were saying nick right, right? like well, i'm gonna i don't care about your conventions i'm, I'm here to shake up washington right. that would be one thing but they lie they say they didn't do it all oh, that we would never do that and then it comes out and they're like yes we did it but it's no big deal and then they prove it's a big deal and they're like of course we did it it's the right thing to do and so it doesn't like any sort of argument that they're doing it on purpose for the good of the country is undermined right if right. they just had the the guts to come out and say that from the beginning it would be really interesting
1: there, there was a story in Political this week uh, where they asked a, a number of uh, Republicans in, in in both the House and the Senate, like, do they think there was actual, like, this grand collusion between the Russians? And all of them come out and say, of course not. These guys are idiots, right? And they wouldn't say this on the record, but they're like, You're, so this is some house of cards scheme? Like, these guys can't do anything right. right. Like, there's no... They say it's, it's likely that maybe Flynn or Manafort, that they had some connections, but... No way, because they're just not. This is the view of the Republicans in the Congress. They're not smart enough to effectively <laughs> collude,
2: right? I agree. The, <laughs> the only the 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 X factor in that is that Putin is right. So like that, that's yes. the other aspect of it is they can be idiots, and he could like work it. So they would never have the the the. I don't. I think you're right. Like they would never be able to put this thing together, but. Putin can, and he comes to them, yeah. and that's where they're idiotic enough to say, oh, yeah, sounds good, right? And that's where it happens. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Was it the former so, CIA director says,
1: he said, he had a quote one time where he said, you never intend to commit treason, right? You just like follow down this role and right. suddenly it's happened. Oh boy, like, hey, oh, boy, I might, have, I might have committed some light treason. <laughs>
0: well,
2: and along this line, right, so the, the whole like number of coincidences and the, the optics, where they're, they're bad at that part of the job, that's where it, it comes into play. We were talking before we went on the air. Today it came out, it was announced that uh, Trump is ending the policy that we started under Obama right, of yeah. arming anti-Assad rebels in Syria. So under Obama, we started this policy of arming and training, um, not, what was it? Is it anti-Assad or anti, I guess it is anti, anti-Assad. Anti-Assad, yeah, right. Um, so it started off as just anti-ISIS people. and anyway, it, it's it's a it it hasn't been a particularly successful. No. I think that's maybe understating it. Um it's been kind of a disastrous policy. but uh, so Trump announced that he's ending that today, which is like one of the things that Russia has been that Putin has been pushing for in Syria for a long time. So even if it might have been an interesting and maybe even the right decision to make, it gets this huge shadow gets cast over it because just last week he has this one-on-one conversation and there are all these debates about collusion and you know quid pro quo stuff and so um yeah even yeah even if they were good at the even if they were bad at the governing if they were just better at the optics it would make a big difference Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and i think the other thing is that The United States does have some strategic interests that overlap with Russia, right? Sure. Syria, Iran, yeah. A there's a lot of things that we want to deal with, but there aren't so many that you want to sell out. Great Britain, Germany. I mean, that's that's the other thing, right? I mean, those alliances matter more, and so it's it's a proportionality issue for me, right? It's okay. I mean, Obama tried to do the same thing. He tried the the Russian reset, right? And that makes sense. And if, if Trump was just doing that. No problem, but this feels like it's it's something more significant. And then you wonder. And I, I I'm always reluctant to ascribe a deeper philosophical you know approach to Trump, but you know this idea that he's anti free trade, he's more of your traditional uh, protectionist and nationalist, uh, and maybe those sentiments are pulling him towards Putin in a way. And if that's the case, that's really in terms of my perspective bad. Really bad. Bad, sad. Sad and sad, bad. Sad, bad. So, sad, bad day. That wasn't very eloquent. <laughs> I,
0: I, I mean, yeah, I, I I don't know about you guys, but I, I since I don't even know since nine eleven, Europe has changed so dramatically from a political and cultural perspective that I mean, I. I don't by any means think that we should be giving up on those alliances yeah. to the point <clears throat> where you know we uh, negate them in favor of someone like Russia or, or, or something like that. But I, I can see the reluctancy to just keep the status quo there. And by again, no means do I think that the strategy that, that we're evincing right now with this administration is great, but I think there needs to be some concern concerted um, uh, thought given to how we renegotiate those alliances. Which, realistically, that's what he campaigned on. Like, I, I don't know why... That, it's... So much of this is focused on, on Russia, and I think a lot of it has to do with the with the compulsive lying, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but, no, I, I mean, I... I do think there probably needs to be some sort of shift in how we treat the people that we're, all, we're allied with, but I think there's the. It's always good to reevaluate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: although, as you were speaking, you're making an eloquent point, a thoughtful point. I'm really not. I don't even know what I just all said. I, all I'm thinking <laughs> of is so when Trump went to Paris. Yes. You know the the Paris press kept asking because exactly. remember during the campaign. I want to talk about. <laughs> I don't want Trump, to talk about Trump it. Trump kept talking about his friend Jim, oh, who'd go to Paris after a few years and years Jim. of him, and didn't like it. And then, uh, so then when he went to Paris, they're like, what do you think of Paris? And what would your friend Jim say oh, of it? And Trump nick. Trump no said
0: Jim. Paris is back. It's back, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So that doesn't address your point at all. No, it no? does.
0: But <laughs> that's the thing. No, it does address my point because he's a fucking idiot when it comes to that. No, I, I, to your to your bigger point, I think you're right. Europe matters less
1: now than the you know sort of this whole Asian pivot, China, all of that matters. But I don't, you're right, Russia
0: isn't the one you pivot to. No, absolutely not. Yeah, but no. it, from a strategic so, standpoint, Russia is probably more. Yeah, I'll, I'll say slightly more. Uh, yeah, more important than it has been since the end of the cold war because of putin yeah 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 yeah
2: so yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so i i mean i agree with you that there, i think there's there is this kind of global shift towards the east in lots of ways but but the alliances that we're you're talking about are long well established i mean for the most part you've added in the last Thirty years, you've added Eastern European countries, but you know these are the these are the allies that have been allies for hundreds of years, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, there's there's no reason just to piss those away just because things no. are shifting east or whatever. And the other the other aspect, you said that Europe has changed so much since the end of September, since September 11th, and I I don't disagree. I think Europe has changed a lot in the last um, 20 years. But the changes that I see politically in Europe are you know, the, the sort of rise of more kind of nationalist groups like the sort of the far-right the, you know, far right ultranationalist groups that have risen up. Um, it's been a more sort of conservative, inward-looking shift in some ways. Um, those are all shifts that giving up on Europe and making alliances with Russia or China or something, russia and china are far worse than europe at those things right so if the concerns about the shifts in europe are real concerns then it doesn't make sense to necessarily shift your alliance to china and russia and and countries like that yeah
0: but there's so much less drama because they don't care about people like it doesn't matter it is easier it's so much easier that's true but i and and not we joke about it but yeah that's appealing like there's there, it's it's so much more straightforward to deal with economic issues with China and, and you know trying to stabilize Assad in Syria because it'll make Russia happy and it could stabilize the region and whatever from there. But,
2: all all easily said from the comfort of your office in <laughs> Naperville, right? Like, well, it's, it, no, it's, it's way a, easier no, as long as you don't live in Russia or China no. saw, or Syria.
0: Right, I agree. I'm not. I don't agree with it. I'm saying it's easier. Well, yes, the other, okay, other thing we I shouldn't forget is that. The, the
1: New Republic had a was it the New Republic yeah the New Republic had a piece this week where they went back and they looked at all of the business connections that Donald Trump has had with Russia over the years not the hidden ones the ones that are up in the open uh, and they go back basically to the end of the Cold War and they're extensive and he's connected with all these oligarchs uh, and in the New Republic, they basically say if it wasn't for the russian oligarchs and the money that they put into trump tower and a variety of other of his properties he wouldn't be president right that that influx of cash mattered so you have to figure over the years he spent time with these people he was connected with russians and so whether you know he probably he never met putin but still like there's probably some sense of cultural connection sure uh, that he shares mm. that he may not have with Paris. I mean, after his friend Jim said he wasn't going to go. Oh, I mean, that, Jim. you know... Uh... We,
2: <laughs> so, we should point out that there was an AP story this week that was all about how Jim is almost certainly made up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, he was killed at the Bowling Green massacre.
1: We can't get <laughs> right. uh, So you know there there's a lot here, and some of this affiliate, I'm sorry, affection for Putin, we won't know for years and years. But uh, it's it, it's bizarre, uh, mm-hmm. strategically, uh, politically. There's a lot of reasons why it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah,
2: there, co- coincidences occur, right? Oh, like sure. things, uh, coincidences occur. But when coincidences occur this frequently, yes, <laughs> and light up. In the same direction, this much—that's that—that's when coincidences stop being coincidences and start being correlations, and right. that's where you start and wondering about collusion. That.
0: Yeah. <laughs> collusion. Well, yeah. I mean, what worries me about this, and you know, while well, I think there, again, we talked about the reevaluation of of alliances and whatnot. What the the split populace that we have here? What element of that? agrees with Trump or that viewpoint to the point where that does become more important than our historical alliances so I don't know if that becomes more of a driving force going forward or if this is a a passing fancy for um, for lack of a better term (laughs) Um, the role but,
1: that Steve Bannon plays might indicate whether that's a long-term thing. If we see Steve Bannon pushed aside, that's one thing. If he stays, you know, that's, I thought he would have
0: been gone by now. I, I, think I so. honestly thought he would have been gone, but th- he's th- he might be in for the long haul at no, this point. I think so. And
1: his supporters, Bannon
0: supporters, are a
1: significant element to Trump Trumpism. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: this was good. Yeah. Yeah, should we wrap up? Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. Um, For a slow week, we had a lot of material. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Hopefully we didn't. Hopefully we didn't ramble too much.
0: This <laughs> is a little rambling. Mostly, <laughs> That's all right. Mostly on my part. Yeah. But, um I'll, 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 I guess I'll do the shameless plugs again. Yeah. Um, find us on uh, Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics. Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Um, You can find our beers from this week and beers from previous week on our uh, untapped page. Uh, Our username is uh, Barstool Politics. Um, You can download the app from uh, the App Store for iOS or the Android Store or Google Store um, and all those various stores. Uh, send beer suggestions, or questions, or um, topics, topic suggestions, anything yeah. like that, to our Yahoo account. Yep. Um, bar or Sto- face, or Facebook. or Facebook. The people you can seem to like that. like the yeah. Facebook or Facebook's Twitter. Easier. Yeah. Or Twitter. Yeah. Just don't use the Yahoo account. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Or
2: what's your home address, Bill? They can mail stuff to you, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs>
1: I oh, think that was it. That's it. And then uh, next week, uh, again, looking forward to uh, Professor Tom Cavanaugh joining us and uh, talk some uh, legal cases. So it should be, a, next week will be fun.
0: Yeah. Anything else from you, Phil? Nope. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.